Hey everyone, how's it going? This is the Infatuation Podcast, a show where we look to elevate and amplify the voices of Asian creators and Asian culture. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we're going to be speaking with someone who's calling in from Melbourne, Australia. He's a self-proclaimed fruit nerd, and by trade, he's a fruiter. Fruitier? <laughs> How do you say that, Ton? <laughs> Fruiterer. <laughs> Fruiterer. He's a, he, by day, he's a fruiterer, and he also does uh, TV. He's been on Channel 7 cooking show, Plate of Origin, as well as ABC Every Day in Australia. We are talking to Ton Trung. Hey, Ton, how's it going? Good. How are you, Curtis? We're doing well. We're doing well. Thank you for joining us. You just got off work? I did. I did. Yes, it's um, it's midday Australian time, but um, I know it's nighttime over there. But uh, yeah, no, I'm still I'm still good, even though I've just finished work. What's good in uh, Melbourne these days? Oh, so so many things. Well, firstly, it's autumn, and uh, that means uh-huh. there's a lot of autumnal fruits like chestnuts, persimmons, um, citrus is coming on board. We have kiwi fruit. We have plenty of lovely fruits. I like to say that autumn fruits. Uh, that little bit extra. And what I mean by that is they've, they've been on the trees for probably three months longer than summer fruit. So it just gives them uh. a bit more time to develop more complex flavors. Not that I don't love summer fruit, but um, yes, autumn fruit is is a blessed time of the year. So it's like low and slow, kind of like barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. so do do you get you get your pumpkins this time of year this is this kind of when you get your winter melons as well and you're talking about winter melons i have tonnage at work right now um yes (sighs) uh, a lot of winter melons it's almost winter time um but you know in in saying pumpkins we grow things all year round now we don't just grow things in season and you know with globalization we can import and export and so for most of us, we're very privileged to have fruit and veg all year round, even though most people don't understand that there are seasons where potentially it could be and most likely is better eating in those moments. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So in you know in California, we get stuff from South America in the winter, mm. you know, because they're down a little south and they can get their uh, berries and uh, summer fruits in the in our winter time. Curtis, what's your favorite fruit? Oh, my favorite fruit, if I had to choose one, I'm going to go Asian pear, I think. Ooh, I love, well, you're speaking my language right now. Um, (laughs) I love Asian pears, and it's a very, very technical line. We call it nashi in Australia. It's more referring Uh to the Japanese name for Asian pears. Um, But it's a very good choice. Now, I have a second question to ask you. Why do you love Asian pears? You know, I think it's the combination of the crunch and it's kind of a mellow sweetness. It's not super intense sweetness, but mostly the texture for me. It's like it's like you're eating a water chestnut, you know, you're yeah. eating something so crunchy and it's just, yeah, it's like drinking a glass of water at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get that with regular pears, which, you know, are very firm and crunchy. And when you do leave them to go ripe, they have a lot of flavor and sweetness, but then they're soft, right? So they're soft, no, that's, yeah. a, that's a great, that's a great answer because a lot of people don't know how to explain why they like certain fruits. Just like most of us, when we go to drink a wine, we're like, I like that one. I don't like that one. But they don't really know how to explain it. And it's the same for fruit and vegetables. And so it's been my mission to help people communicate their their likes and dislikes in fruit. Because if they can do that, they'll know how to pick one that they like the next time they purchase that fruit. And you've mentioned texture as the most important thing. And the other two things are, say, aroma, like durian. You can smell it. Or, (laughs) and also flavor, which is what we all taste, which is the the actual flavor of the fruit. Amazing. We're going to learn so much today, guys. So hang (laughs) hang tight, everyone. We're going to learn about fruit and veg. I want to introduce one more person. She is kind of hiding in the background right now. It is her first podcast. It is one of my students, another one of my students coming on. It is Sydney. Hey, Sydney, how's it going? Uh, It's going good. I just got off practice as well. And yeah, just here excited to get more opportunities and know more about fruit because i have 
my mom loves fruit so much and I want to like teach her as much as I can. All right. Nice. What is nice your favorite you. fruit? <laughs> nice to meet you too. Um, I like dragon fruit. I think Ooh. like it's a mix between like nostalgia and also the light sweetness. I think it goes really good and it's very refreshing. I remember eating it a lot in my village back in during the summers and my village grows a lot of dragon fruit so I would always have like white, pink, yellow sometimes. It was really good, but I I heard somewhere where like dragon fruit was like a natural laxative. So it like explain it's like <laughs> funny to me thinking back on how many times I ate it. No, <laughs> not knowing that. And where is the village? Uh it's around it's in Yunnan. Uh we're a we're a little the closest city is Lanchan and that's where we usually go to. Uh there wasn't an airport there until very recently, so now it's a lot easier to travel there and and see my family, which is really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And and dragon fruit are just the coolest fruit too, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they are. Like <laughs> they the outside so cool. is beautiful. Visually, they're stunning, like absolutely stunning. And internally, similar to kiwi fruit, and just as you explained, very neutral in flavor. Um, yeah, and it's it's had it's it's still having its boom. Really, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we rarely ever even saw it in Western yeah. countries like the United States and Australia, and now it's kind of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, we're gonna talk produce today. You know, I always say to myself. Um, if it tastes good, it's probably not good for you, right? You know, like French fries, <laughs> potato chips, pizza, those kinds of things. But the one exception to that rule is fruit. Yes. I, would, would everyone agree with that? Like the one thing that is, you know, that's the one thing that my daughter will eat that is healthy. <laughs> like she doesn't like yes. greens. She won't like veg, but she'll, she'll nosh on fruit. She'll eat fruit any time of the day, you know, apples, oranges. She loves all kinds of fruits, so. Curtis, you mentioned something so profound, profound in the way that it's so obvious, yet not obvious at the same time, where fruits and vegetables don't need to sell themselves, right? They sell mm -hmm. themselves because everybody wants to eat healthy. But at the same time, they really fall behind in terms of being the thing that we all want to eat, especially as we have very busy lives that require convenience, and so a lot of my work is, a lot of the work which I, I, I do is to help people bring that love back, get the love back into fruit and veg. I, I, getting the love back is probably a terrible way to explain it. It's, it's discovering a new way to love fruit and veg because in a way, over the last half a century, we have grown fruit and veg in a way that is built around our lives to be convenient, yet it lacks the most important thing, which is most often aroma, texture, and flavor. Mm. And we've done so to ensure that it's sustainable from, for farmers from a financial point of view, mm. that it aesthetically appears to consumers. It looks beautiful, but not necessarily eats beautifully, um, and that it keeps for a long time because – that allows us to transport it across the world and to put Sydney's uh, example, dragon fruit. That That is a fruit that does not last more than a week, but we've made it last months on end so that mm. we can sell it and eat it across the world. So, um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, Curtis, that it's the one fruit that kind of, you know, we all love, yet when you think about it, as we grow older, we eat fruit and veg far less than, you know, mm. parents would love their kids to eat fruit <laughs> and veg. And I want people to rediscover that love through being, through giving them the agency and power to pick tasty fruits and vegetables that are moorish, that are moorish that you would eat it over and over and over again. And I feel as though that experience of a wonderful piece of fruit, a nostalgic piece of fruit, like the dragon fruit that you had in Yunnan, is very far and few between in, in our modern time. Yeah, yeah. All right, he's on a mission, everyone. So we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get to that. We're gonna, we're gonna talk fruit for an hour here. This is gonna be great. All right, so uh, real quick, Tom, can you tell us 
what a fruiterer does. <laughs> like, like obviously, yeah. I don't use that word very often, <laughs> but what does a fruiterer do? I'm going to give you a history lesson in 30 seconds. So hundreds of years ago, we used to have a lot of fruiterers whose, only, whose sole purpose was to sell fruit. Now, even probably before that, most of our connection to fruit and veg was through farmers or farmers markets. And as we've, you know, developed supermarkets and shopped in different ways, the term fruiterer almost no longer exists because we predominantly get all of our food from the supermarkets or from hospitality restaurants. And so it's a really an old English term for somebody who specializes in the field of fruit, who sells fruit. And that's actually what I do for a living. Now, my alias or my uh, the term fruit nerd was given to me. I was donned the name by my friends because of my enthusiasm and passion for fruit <laughs> and vegetables. Um, and it's really a platform for me to be larger than life, larger than what somebody would understand or really see as somebody who just sells fruit. So I listened to your podcast with Lan and – you know, she talked about how, you know, with a lot of migrant families, they use their hands when they got here and they wanted their mm. their children to use their minds to, you know, make a living. And as a fruiterer, I'm touching fruit a hundred times a day. I'm moving boxes. Uh -huh. It's very laborious and it's very honorable work. And I, in a way, wanted to show my parents that what they did was very honorable work and that what they do is extremely specialized, is extremely knowledgeable. And, um, you know, social media and our new age is giving me a, has given me a fortunate platform to do so because I still think that there is so much value that, um, you know, fruiterers, people who sell seafood, people who sell meat that we can offer because we mm -hmm. are so disconnected from our food these days. And I think that the pandemic really showed that people have a very strong connection to food and that many people want to reconnect those dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're working in a wholesale business that receives fruit from all over the world, or are you mostly Australian stuff? Or Yeah, so my, my family, my father first started a small fruit store um, over three decades ago. And then all of my uncles and aunties started fruit stores. Eventually, my dad um, sold and went into the wholesale and distribution market. And as you rightly put, we now distribute fruit and veg from all around the world in Australia. And we do send fruit across the world too. But I would say predominantly in Australia to all the states. And we, and we specialize in Asian fruit and vegetables. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. tapping into your roots a little bit, uh, you are Vietnamese? Yes, I'm Vietnamese Chinese and I am Digil. I <laughs> but oh. um, like predominantly Vietnamese Chinese, yeah. As in, I speak Vietnamese and Chinese. Mandarin or Cantonese? Um, I speak Mandarin. I understand ah. a bit of Cantonese, but I majored in languages. So, um, yeah, Vietnamese, Chinese and Japanese. Oh, oh. wow. I'm, I speak Japanese too. Oh, <laughs> So I, I've seen you on TV a little bit. I mean, not live, but I see you on YouTube and everyone out there can find Frank Tan as well. If you just, I think if you just yeah. put Fruit Nerd in YouTube, you'll, he'll pop up on ABC <laughs> Australia. And that is what you do. A lot of, a lot of your videos are how to pick fruit and how to store fruit and things like that. Where, where did that come from? Did, did Plate of Origin come first and then you started doing those videos or, or was it the other way around? I mean, it's a, it's a classic creator's story where, you know, I've been creating videos for years and no one watched me. <laughs> and, um, and I guess, you know, Plate of Origin did help. It was kind of like a start of something. Nothing really came of it besides a few small opportunities, which became other opportunities, which became ABC every day. Um, and I've been making kind of educational videos for seven, eight years and, Mm. kind of went nowhere and by the time abc had asked me to make a video i kind of figured out all the things that went wrong uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and a lot of it was actually education because yeah. in our day and age we know that you can't even keep someone engaged for more than 0 0.7 seconds on tiktok <laughs> before they're flicking up right yeah yeah so i i feel i i learned those lessons the hard way 
And ABC also helped help me hone in on what was most important to somebody about an avocado. And I never realized that, you know, of the 50 things I know about avocados, because <laughs> don't get me wrong, I bought $100 million of avocados before, right. <laughs> like literally, quite literally, that only really two things resonate with people out of 50 things. And so uh, I think really trying to capture one's imagination of what is most important or what the pain point is in fruit and vegetables, um, if they just learn one thing and they take that away, then that's all that's important for me, just engaging them with fruits and vegetables for a moment of their time. And that's really hard in our very, very um, mm -hmm. competingly uh, busy and distracting lives. <laughs> yeah, no, trust me, I hear you. I'm, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher by day, so keeping you know, keeping people's <laughs> so attention. You know, that's what I do, man. And that's right, Curtis. You know, right? And and I love, I I let, I know so much, and I would love to teach people so much. But that's really something, you know, that that you'd sit at a university um, or at college in a room where you're kind of teaching people or where, what you do in, in a, in a classroom and on social media and on the internet, you know, unless you're on a certain platform like YouTube and you're doing long form, you're really trying to, you know, trying to catch people's imagination for a few moments. Yeah. Have them, have them take away something that they can hold with them. Otherwise you're going to be forgotten just like every other video, which you saw only 45 seconds ago. <laughs> You're right, 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 right. Well, let's take a, let's take a step back. Let's, can we talk a little poo, a little plate of origin? Um, it, I never yeah. saw the show, you know, because over here in the States, we never saw it, but it sounded like a lot of fun and it sounded like they were trying to tie it in with the Olympics a little bit in 2020. Mm -hmm. You know, we know about 2020, but uh, there were 10 teams representing different countries. And so you and your friend Duncan represented mm. Team Vietnam. And so you were, it's a cooking yeah. competition. And you went head to head versus different countries, right? And the first couple rounds was yeah. you versus one other country. And you, you cooked a dish and the judges picked you the first couple rounds. Yeah. Well, we actually lost the first round um, to Team Africa. And. Yeah, that kind of sent us in a spot. I was so determined to stay on. But you know what? It was actually extremely hard. The show was so hard. It was meant to be a really long series and it was cut short because of the pandemic. Right. We actually went into lockdown and mm. some of the contestants were considered close contacts. And I don't know if you know about Australia, but we were in mm -hmm. a full, full lockdown across you the entire country. You weren't around, yeah. <laughs> no. and, um, and yeah, we couldn't actually film. You know, and mm. so we were basically locked up in a hotel and then um, in a way it helped us because for a lot of the other teams, they had very rigid mindsets on what they were going to cook. And then when ingredients started to become scarce, like flour, I don't know if you had a flour uh -huh. shortage yeah, in America, we but we did in Australia, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there was rationing of flour. I mean, you could never imagine that. And um right. And that kind of worked to our benefit because, you know, a lot of the ingredients that were that were hard to source, um, we were very flexible. And um, Duncan is a very good cook and we worked really well as a team because he um, he really knows his savoury, he really knows his meats. He's, he does very good Vietnamese braised meats and I do very good at garnishes and fruits and vegetables and keeping <laughs> it fresh. Yeah. Um, so we were we were a good duo. And um, it was – it's basically – a similar MasterChef type of show. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, look, it, it was it was difficult, and I'm really glad that we did it. I'm really glad that we represented Team Vietnam. We came second in the end. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I managed to cook up some of the dishes that are really true to my heart and represent my heritage. And, um, you know, when I was younger, the only, the only space where you saw Asian representation on TV was in cooking. And it was yeah. only on MasterChef. And I'm, I, was that is that similar in the States in yeah, a way? Yeah, I think for a long time, uh, you know, a little bit of Disney here and there. You know, mm. you got the Mulans, you got, um, mm. you know, Zach and Cody, Sweet Life. <laughs> you know, you got a little bit of Asian yeah, rep yeah. here and there. But yeah, it was pretty dry here too. But yeah, cooking shows a little bit more, but even, even not a ton. 
you know, even though America has people like I'm, I'm fifth generation. So you have people who've been here for 170 years, but it's still not, you know, we're seeing a lot more now, like a lot yeah. more, which is great. And that's fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that it's happened in our lifetime. Um, but yeah, so I went on, I, as a fruiterer, I took it upon myself to learn all of the herbs that we sold mm. at our shop because I felt as though if I hadn't used it and if I didn't know how to use it myself, then why am I selling this product? Why am I selling galungal, ginger, lemongrass, lime leaves, um, Thai basil? If I don't, I might know what it looks like and what it's good, but like when it's really, really fresh. But if I don't know how to process it and cook it, then I don't really know how to assist other fruiterers when I'm selling the product to them. Um, you know, who's living in your area? What types of foods do they cook? And I wanted to add that another string to my bow in terms of really understanding that produce that I cook. So I started to learn all of my mum's dishes, which is all where all the Vietnamese cooking comes uh-huh. from. Um, and that's how I got onto the show. But in, in essence, I really wanted to highlight the Asian vegetables, which I never saw on TV because they yeah. were, could you say, not to the liking of the judges. So mm-hmm. in, in a redemption case, if you will, um, I cooked a dish on the audition of Master Chef, the top 100, which was a bitter melon dish. And the uh producers did not like it at all. And (laughs) it was my mum's dish and they just didn't understand it. You know, it was a, it was an ignorant, they didn't understand it, but Uh I cooked it on the final of play of origin and it received perfect marks, 10 out of 10. And there was kind of redemption because I, it was just the wrong timing. Right. And just like Asian representation in America, it was the wrong timing. That was like five or six years Uh ago now. And, uh, Australian TV just wasn't ready for it yet, I, I think. Yeah. And it's taken this representation movement for people to start to want to even accept flavors like bitterness. Um, yeah. And I'm really proud of those kinds of moments. And I hope that, you know, as an Asian Australian, um, but really just, just, you know, a proud Asian, I hope to champion those fruits like durian, which are often... <laughs> <laughs> seen as disgusting or you know they smell when really the description of it really is aromatic it's really fragrant and everyone who loves durian will say that but because food journalism has always been controlled by traditional white led companies that to their case they just don't understand the fruit and right. nobody who's actually loved it has give, been given the opportunity to explain it I feel as though, you know, there is a form of food racism, which I want to Hmm. write that wrong. And, um, you know, it really requires somebody who understands food journalism, who really understands how to explain the flavors, the textures, the aromas, um, and to champion it so that, you know, Americans and Australians and Europeans will try these fruits that we love. Yeah. And I always liken it to French cheese, to, to blue cheese. Right. You'll never see a publication <laughs> where it's being given the sign disgusting. It might be too strong of an o- aroma or, uh-huh. you know, but never in a way of disgusting or, yeah. you know, smells like feet or something like that, yeah. you know, in that, in that ilk. Yeah. They might say it's an acquired taste. <laughs> acquired taste. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful. Like I never... You know, we talk about othering, right? We talk about how you yeah. other someone, but I've never heard it applied to fruit before. Yeah, it's totally mm. true, though. You know, sometimes we other cuisines and just say that's not for me because it's just not from my area or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, you asked me about Plate of Origin and I learned so much, you know. I mean, the show's obviously having to be dramatized and, you know, made in a way to entertain but some of the conversations that we had with a lot of the other contestants was just so beautiful. And I'm so, I'm so disappointed that a lot of it didn't go to air, especially the ones with team Africa, how they cook really tough meats and that's how they ate it. And we all didn't understand. We thought this was meat cooked wrong and, uh-huh. um, you know, having to eat with your hands. 
um, all these really beautiful things that we we definitely take for granted and we just don't understand. But yeah, no, fruits is very much in the has been in the limelight, and certainly during the pandemic, the New York Times wrote an article about how rambutan looked like COVID, and that's just uh, you know that, uh, things like that don't really wow. you know they don't they don't help stop Asian hate and um, yeah and and see these countries and the and the produce that they grow in in a positive way, even though I'm sure many Americans and Australians love traveling to Asia and eating their food. There's still a lot to say about how journalism can play an important role in um, the positive influence of, of how our cultures are seen. Powerful stuff. I love I love your content. I love listening to you explain and teach. You're a really good teacher, and so everyone should go uh, on Instagram and find Fruit Nerd at Fruit Nerd, and you can see Tan and and some of his explanations on YouTube. You can find him uh, on ABC Australia every day. And so let's talk a little fruit. How about this? How about um, we talk? I'll give you a I'll give you a fruit. And you tell me how to pick the best one of them. Does that sound sound like something right up Let's your alley? Let's go. Okay. And I, I saw I saw a video. <laughs> I saw a video on this. All right. How about apples? How do you choose the best apple? Yeah. Interesting question. So a lot of people don't know apples are stored for a year or can be stored for an entire year, even I though saw that, yeah. <laughs> even though they actually are only picked in a two week window. So. Freshness is a very subjective word, you could say. Mm -hmm. um, but if you love the Fuji apple, uh, the easiest way to pick the Fuji apple, uh, which is is one of my amazing tips, is the bottom where the flowering blossom end is, not where the stem is. That area should be very flat because the final stage mm. of a fruit maturing on the tree or the Fuji apple is that it expands sideways. And when it expands sideways, it flattens the base. So it doesn't look like kind of a, a ridge or an upside down mountain. Now it's only relevant for the Fuji apple. Now, what I can say is that when you've picked a fruit that's ripened on a tree compared to one that's slowly ripened, becomes sweeter after you've picked it, it's not just sweeter, but it has more complex flavors. And what I mean by that is it's got a more developed aroma so when you bite into an apple or any fruit, you'll get the flavors which you get, which is kind of like sweetness, sourness, bitterness, astringency, mm -hmm. tartness. But the aroma is the smell that you get from the skin. Um, and that aroma is much more pronounced in a mature fruit, not just an apple, any, any fruit. Mm -hmm. um, but what I can say for just picking fruits, apples in general is put it in your hand and give it a give it a light squeeze and you can tell if it's been stored for too long or left out in the shelf for too long because it'll be a little bit soft and most mm. apples are quite firm and especially because they're stored in the fridge they're predominantly stored to hold texture and mm. just like how you love eating a nashi you want that really crispy bite when you bite into uh -huh. an apple or a pear and if even if just uh, I mean, half a centimeter. What would you call? It? Do you, you guys, that you guys are still doing imperial, not metric. Uh, quarter, so what would that be? <laughs> a quarter inch, right? Eighth Just inch, that yeah. first quarter of an inch when you bite into an apple. That's the crispy part and the firmness that you want to get. So yeah. if you're finding that it's a little bit squishy, yeah, avoid it. And you'll you'll definitely know when apples aren't good because yeah. it's usually you know stored for nine, ten, eleven, twelve months, and you definitely wow. notice that it it's not as good as when it's in the first six months. But I, I must say, within the first six to nine months, you almost can't notice that the apple huh. has lost much um, in wow. terms of texture and flavor. So so we pick ours here here on the west coast of America. We pick ours, what, October? Is that kind of our apple picking? Correct. Yeah. October, November, um, September, October, November. Uh, October and November, depending on the variety. So right. every variety has a different window and the spacing out is about two months. So now it's May. So I'm eating an apple. So if I go to the store and buy an apple from Washington, I'm eating an apple that's been sitting in a, in a warehouse for, for five months, six Eight months. Eight months. Yeah. Yeah. 
eight months. That's right. And and do you do you guys in California get any apples from South America, like Chile or probably yeah yeah I, I think we do. All right. So you, when those apples start to come in, that's the time when you know that um, the local American apples are starting uh, to really lose their yeah. um, ability to shine. Wow. Okay. All right. Wow. That's that's fascinating. I, I guess they just can't they can't just ripen at different times. It's just nature is what it is, and they just try to find a way to get it to you all year long. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Apples. Even before apples were stored for a year, you could store them in your fridge for at least a month. Like a, yeah. a fresh apple will store for a very, very long time. And prior to refrigeration, they used to store them underneath the ground where mm-hmm. it was quite cool, like in a wine cellar. And it would it would keep for three to four months, especially given the apples weren't as sweet as they are today. So they do yeah. last much longer. Wow. So, yeah. All right. Amazing. All right. Let's move on to my daughter's favorite. It is yeah. the pineapple. What's the best way to choose a pineapple that's going to just make us happy when we bite into that? Yeah. <laughs> no, a pineapple is a really good one. Now, there are different types of pineapples. There are ones that with a really jagged leaves at the top. Do you know those mm-hmm. ones? And ones that mm-hmm. are really smooth, which are kind of like bunny's ears. And um, with smooth pineapples, one of the major telling points where a pineapple has reached late maturity is that the eyes, which are the little little berries or the little singular segments in on the pineapple mm-hmm. skin, they really flatten out, and um, and it's it's similar case when when an apple grows and when a pineapple grows, it really widens out and it no longer becomes spiny or mountainous. Um, and so when you when when you kind of and that's why it's called a smooth pineapple. When you run your hand along the pineapple, if it's very smooth then it's going to be almost certainly a very, very sweet pineapple. Now, there are other tips that you can use. Some of them are sun-kissed, and I'm sure you would have seen like one side looks very, very Mm -hmm. orange, whilst the other side is dark green. That that side obviously is going to have more sugars. Um, And there is the modern-day era has a lot of varietals which are hybrided. And they're called hybrid pineapples because they're basically two apples where they've got the best traits from both and they've grown them in such a way that it's going to be sweet almost no matter what. (laughs) And these varieties of pineapples, which, you know, your common um, brands in America like Dole um, would sell, are these hybrid varieties which are sub-acid. And sub-acid is in – they're actually very, very low in acid which is why they're very sweet. But in terms mm-hmm. of the actual sugar content in them, they're exactly the same huh. as other other pineapples. So it gives you the notion illusion. and feeling, <laughs> the illusion that it is sweet. But no, but it is sweet and it does taste uh-huh. sweet. Um, so if you're picking a hybrid pineapple, it's almost certain that you'll, ha- you'll have a sweet experience. And you'll notice because there'll be some fancy name for the pineapple. It won't just be a ordinary pineapple because <laughs> it's a, it's a, what we call in Australia a PBR, plant breeders' rights, uh-huh. which is basically intellectual property. Somebody has to pay huh. royalties to grow that pineapple. Huh. Yeah. Now, I think I heard somewhere that when you're when you're seeing that pineapple, is that pineapple actually a couple years old? They're like, um, how long does it take to to grow when it's on the plant? Yeah, you know, if anyone ever, you know, the sad thing about our society. Um, is that most children have never walked or stepped onto a farm. And so they don't, they have this uh, distorted vision and world of how fruit and veg is grown. And in the case of pineapples, we would be aghast to know that pineapples take two years mm-hmm. to grow one piece of fruit. And then you'll need to destroy the plant and, right. and grow an entire new plant just for one small pineapple. <laughs> Um, they take two years. It's it's extraordinary. And so you yeah. know when you when when if you were growing one in your home, you you wouldn't want to waste that piece of fruit. You wouldn't want to want to waste even the smallest part of it. And so I yeah. think you know yeah. When you ask the question of how long does a pineapple grow, uh, it, it's it's very emotional for me to say yeah, two years because wow. yeah. Um, you know, on an apple tree, you, you've you've grown the tree, and the tree can yield hundreds of pieces of fruit every uh-huh. year uh, uh-huh. but not a pineapple yeah 
Yeah. All right. So, so treasure it, people. When you eat a pineapple, you're eating treasure. a piece of treasure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now you're heading into winter, but we out here in California are heading into summer. And everyone's favorite thing in the summer is to get a big watermelon, cut it up, and share it with mm. 12 of your friends. What is a foolproof way to pick out a watermelon, Todd? <laughs> well, I've got a question for you guys. In the States, do you have cut watermelons sold or are they predominantly all whole watermelons? They do have cut ones. Yeah, you can find one, but it's, you know, usually covered in saran wrap or, you know, you don't know yeah. how long it's been there. But yeah, they sometimes they have cut ones. So it depends. In Australia, we're a very unique country where we actually cut most of our watermelons oh. and most of the watermelons are sold cut. And that's probably because the watermelons are so big that most consumers don't want to buy a full watermelon. <laughs> so I've got two tips for your listeners. So the first one is if you're, if you've got a full watermelon and you're buying a full watermelon, well, it's actually somewhat hard to see if it's going to be really sweet, but mm-hmm. you can tell if it's going to be bruised. And it's that classic wives' auntie's tale of tapping the watermelon. Because <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people don't really know what's happening there. They're like, why are you knocking that watermelon? <laughs> but uh, when you understand the, you know, the, the science behind it, it's actually quite obvious. And, you know, um, if there's a bruise when you tap the watermelon, that bruise, which is holding a lot of moving liquid, is going to absorb all of that sound. But if it mm. wasn't bruised, it would be like a basketball where the sound would just reverberate back at you like a bouncy noise. And a bruised watermelon will sound like a thud, like you're hitting a wall in a mm. way. Um, and so that's a really obvious case for when watermelons are bruised, but they've dropped and you know up one side isn't very good. Um, the other reason why the sound would be different is if there's a crack in the watermelon. Now, cracks are just purely aesthetic, but they also absorb the sound because of there's a hollowness inside mm. the fruit. But if you are buying cut watermelon, it's actually a real giveaway if a fruit is going to be sweet or not because where the seeds are, that's naturally where fruit is sweet because fruits are designed for us to mm-hmm. eat fruits, eat the seeds, and then poop them out and then grow another tree or another right. plant, right? That's right. naturally how nature is. So the area next to the seed is always sweetest for every fruit. And so with seedless watermelons or even seeded watermelons that are cut, you look in that area and when it's very sweet, uh, the fruit, the watermelon will start to show almost these light crystals like sugar granules Mm -hmm. and that's really the sugar developing and you can see when one doesn't have it it's a very bland watermelon and when one does have it it's very pronounced that there's a lot of little white dots near where the seed is so um yeah go for the cut watermelon with very very tightly wrapped uh cling wrap to show that it's been wrapped that day um that's my two tips for a cut watermelon all right all right uh, is it always is it always uh, better to buy local? Like in general, will you try to look at the origins? Like a lot of them have the little stickers now that tell you what country it's coming from. In general, do you try to buy more closer to home than than further? That is a very loaded question, Curtis, and I say so because <laughs> we all want to support local, but we have to recognize that we do live in a global world and if you were to ask me is the best eating fruit local i would actually honestly most likely say not always Hmm. and that's because you know have you ever eaten a yubari melon from japan they're the most extraordinarily crafted Uh pieces of art but not only beautifully looking but beautifully tasting but in terms of food miles, in terms of, you know, supporting local and in terms of being in season, um, yeah, sure. Local produce uh, generally can be much better. But also, you know, small growers versus large scale growers, they don't have the technology. They don't, uh-huh. They're not growing the new varieties that are tasting very sweet like these sub-acid pineapples. There's a whole range of factors. It's not a very simple question to ask. Yeah. What I can say is the topic about local food uh, or local fruit and veg being seasonal, right? Because local fruit and veg is only seasonal. And I actually don't believe in seasonality. It's such a weird thing for a Mm. fruiter to say. It's the 
it's the selling point. It's the marketing word mm. for the fruit and veg industry being in season or it's seasonal. But actually, within a season, there can be very, very bad times and good mm. times. If you pick fruit very early in the season, the fruit is not sweet. It's yeah. being picked too early. And if you yeah. pick them really, really late, then yes, often they're really good, but the shelf life is no good, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And so depending on the time of the season, um, I like to think that there's this idea of the produce of the moment and local produce can champion this. Your local markets will know. Your local farmer will know when that fruit is eating best uh-huh, because he's been yeah. picking it for the last two weeks and yeah. he'll pick it for the next two weeks. And he'll just say something like, or she may say something like, Tan, the sun's been out for the last two weeks and these strawberries now are magnificent uh-huh. because it hasn't rained. They're not full yeah. of just water. They're not bland and they've got full color. And that's a, a, a time within the season because the next three days, it might <laughs> rain like no tomorrow. Right, and then right. I tell you what, those strawberries are going to taste no good because they're going to absorb all the water. There's going to be a lot of mold. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to pick. And so uh, that's why I believe that local produce can be the better option, but not always. So yeah. um, just see produce as alive. Walk into a fruit store and, you know, don't go in with the mindset, I'm going to cook, you know, broccoli pasta. Go in the mindset of, I'm going to see what's looking good on the shelf, what's uh-huh. feeling good. And, you know, if I don't know how to cook it, I'm going to try or if it's something similar, I can substitute. And I think if we all go in with that view, which is I'm sure how our parents used to buy their fruit and veg, uh-huh then we will be buying in a much more conscious way, which I hope that um, more people move towards in the future. Yeah, no, great answer, great answer. Because, yeah, I mean, Sydney likes her Asian fruit. What are you going to do? You're, gonna, mm. <laughs> you're not going to buy a local uh, dragon fruit around here, I don't think. <laughs> no, right, and so now actually, Yunnan is famous for their mandarins, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah. Have you any questions, Sydney? What is the, my second favorite fruit is peaches. So what is the best way to know, like, how good a peach is? Yeah, really great question, Sydney. So peaches are often picked backwards, right? And so by backwards, I mean they're picked early so that they can last transport, they can survive the supply chain. Um, You know, if they're picked in California, they're going to have to reach New York Mm -hmm. and they're going to have to reach japan or wherever they're getting sent to so they ripen as they're being transported and when you look at a peach it might not be giving off an aroma because it's not ripe enough and what you want to look for is one that smells good even though it's hard because by the time it becomes soft it might be aromatic but you know that it's not being picked ripe off the tree so if you pick a peach that is smelling really strong but is firm, you know that by the time that that fruit ripens and becomes soft, it's going to have such a perfume that if you leave it in your car, you're going to almost suffocate mm-hmm. because the peach smell is going to be so strong. You're going to feel like you're drinking a uh, a peach sake from Japan or something <laughs> like that. It's going to be so strong. Um, so that's how I'd say that uh, that a peach is 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 um, that's how you pick a peach. Yeah. If it's okay, could I ask one more question? Sure. You can ask as many as you like. <laughs> um, recently, we had our AP test. And one of the AP tests for my language uh, my language class was, or it was about, we had to write an essay about vertical farming. And I, would, I was wondering what your opinion was on it. What's an AP test? College level classes are called advanced oh, placement okay. classes. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm very across it. Um, the world the world leader is in the Netherlands, Wageningen University, and um, yeah, I've spoken to a lot of people from there. Uh, I mean, it's a very broad question that you've asked. I, I think in terms of being sustainable and having a sustainable future and growing fruit and ve- fruit and veg and food in general, vertical farming uses very very little water. It uses almost ten times less water than field grown tomatoes and vegetables and that's because the water can be recycled it's because the plants don't um evaporate their their you know moisture Mm -hmm. out of the air um everything is controlled 
um, whatever nutrients the plant needs. No pests. <laughs> no pests, no pesticides, very little insect, uh, well, none really. But yes, vertical farming is a really interesting thing because, I mean, in our world, it's all about, we, we live in a capitalist society that's all about the return on investment because the investment to go into mm-hmm. a vertical farm would be huge. It'd be, you know, to, to have a run a warehouse, it would be millions. And so you'd need to yeah. uh, make that return on investment. So I'll give you a really good example. In Australia, most tomatoes 30 years ago, or nearly all tomatoes were grown out in the field. Now more than 50% of all tomatoes are grown in controlled vertical greenhouses. And so the difference between vertical farming, well, it is a form of vertical farming, but vertical farming with sunlight. Now, the reason for that is because it's becoming too hard to farm outside because of the elements, Mm -hmm. because of the cost of fertilizer, because of the cost of um, insecticides. And so it's actually more profitable to run them in these facilities than outdoors. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a really, really complex answer because the plant needs to be worked for 10 to 11 months of the year. You're going to need to cut tomatoes off that plant for 10 to 11 months of the year to get back the money that you've invested in the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. Whilst field-grown, you only that plant will only ever yield for you two times so you know there's all these different questions about yeah is it a good investment yes is it sustainable Mm, is that good for the soil is it nutritious does it taste as good as field grown Uh well uh for one thing they look perfect in vertical farms because they never have wind damage they never have rub and that's what people want but do they have the intense flavors no they don't Mm -hmm. and do they last longer no they don't because field grown has to survive the wind, the sun, the heat. And so they grow a very thick skin. Whilst in vertical farming, they have a very thin skin and they don't last very long at all. And it causes much more food waste. So they're very, very complex food system Uh questions. um, And they're ones that uh, we will only know in time. Um, But all I can say is that nearly everywhere around the world, they are moving towards these more sophisticated systems yeah. because they're much easier to control because they're more aesthetically pleasing fruit and veg and um, and their flavor is getting better. They're growing different varieties that taste closer towards field grown. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question and one that I'm across, but one that I don't know the future of. Uh-huh. Oh, Sydney, too bad we didn't do this interview before your test. Yeah. <laughs> I would have crushed it. <laughs> Thank you for that answer. I oh, I was no like, I love hearing about other opinions of people who are more sophisticated than me in these topics because I only had like five sources to look through. So oh, I wanted man. to right. understand yeah. the full scope of it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it, you know, they're, they're, that's actually one of the most uh, topical things in, in the industry. Um, it's, uh, I, I mean, I know this is the podcast, but I could speak for hours on this topic yeah. because it's <laughs> it's really um, it's and it's not just you know vertical farming is a term for how most future crops will be grown, whether mm-hmm. they're vegetables or whether they're herbs. You know, mm-hmm. you most of our herbs will you know, especially if you live in colder environments. I mean, right where you guys live in in california it's quite warm but in canada you know everything needs to be grown in something of a greenhouse of sort or a vertical farm because they're they only really have a crop for one and a half months of the year because it's so cold but (laughs) you know so that this this idea of maintaining food security comes into play as well so yeah it's a it's a very fascinating question man i i wish we could do hours time i I could do this all night (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, but I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this portion a little bit. Thanks for your answers. Hopefully, everyone out there will check out your videos or your Instagram. You have hundreds and hundreds of tips for us on those accounts. So everybody, go check out Fruit Nerd on Instagram or on YouTube. All right, Don, you survived Sydney's difficult questions, but are you ready for <laughs> her lightning round? All right, let's I have, do it. First question: If you could have only one fruit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Cherries. Really? <laughs> um, so, and I'm very, very strict about this in terms of why. 
And that leads to what I was explaining to Curtis at the very beginning. It's because of this idea, which I call sweet umami. Now, a lot of fruits can be sweet, but a lot of fruits can't be extremely sour and sweet at the same time. Mm. And cherries can do that for me. They really can be very sour and very sweet at the same time. And when you find a really good cherry, it would be very, it can be very crisp and crunchy, like the nashi, like the Asian pear experience, which Curtis mm-hmm. has. So it can be intense in flavor and it can have the texture that, that I love. Um, and there aren't many fruits that have those elements together. Mm-hmm. Uh, what one thing that it doesn't have that, that other fruits like durian has is aroma, but I would forego it because where I feel that when you have both the intensity, of sour and sweetness and the texture, then you get that idea of sweet umami. Now, umami is something that we're addicted to. We keep eating it. Uh It's like it salivates us. And so a good fruit for me has to be one that you can't physically stop eating. So, you know, if you've ever had that experience where, you know, the dragon fruit is so good or the pear is Uh so good, you just can't stop eating it. You know, you finish the bowl really quickly and you want another bowl. That's when you know that's my marker of a good fruit. And that's what I call sweet umami. And I feel as though the best cherries mean that I am just devouring and it looks like blood yeah. is on all over my cheeks yeah, and the juices yeah, yeah. are dripping. And anyway, let's go on. Next question. These <laughs> no, aren't lightning questions anymore. No, that's fine. No, we just call the lightning round. But I love cherries too because you could just, you can, it's scalable, right? You can, you yes. can have two cherries. Or 50 yes. cherries. <laughs> you can yes. throw a whole sack in your lunch or a couple. You know, it's like it's a very scalable fruit too. <laughs> All right. Next question. What's your favorite color in fruit? Yeah. A color is a very interesting question. Um, it would be something that I would say that's not natural uh, and really intense. Maybe something like a, a, a purple dragon fruit or a pink guava. Something that almost seems unnatural when you uh-huh. cut it open and you're like, the intensity and the vibrancy of that palette is like unreal. And yeah, uh, yeah it would be one of those kinds of colors. Yeah. It's like from another planet. <laughs> mm. Like Thanos's uh, um, Kiwano melon that he picked out of the ground in the end game movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 What do you think of the saying, eat the rainbow? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a metaphor for eat a diverse, balanced diet, which I which I think is is great. You know, I think excess of anything isn't great. And um, in my dietetics learnings at at, at college, um, balance has always been a, a theory um, for a well balanced life. So I think eating the rainbow is a is a great metaphor for that. Yeah. No. I I, I tend to. I tend to dwell on the the browns and the yellows, <laughs> you know, the beige <laughs> foods. My my cousin would always get on me like, "Where's the green? Where's the red? Where's the, you know? It's all brown and yellow and beige." Yeah, got to got to mix in some color. You got to mix. Got to mix it up. <laughs> if you wanted to impress someone, what's the best way? That what's the best fruit to give as a gift? That is an extraordinary question. <laughs> <laughs> and the most obvious question for that is strawberries. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess I guess it depends on the situation. I probably wouldn't give anyone a durian just in case it just overwhelms <laughs> them. Um, it's almost a tester, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. no, look, I think I think giving a really simple. You know what? I think it doesn't matter what fruit you give them. But as long as you process it with love, like as a mum would, like how my mum peeled pomelo for me. If you peeled somebody a plate of pomelo, oh, my God, you'd, you'd have my love and adoration forever because that, for me, is a marker of somebody took a lot of care and thought in yeah. in whatever fruit it was, even if it was an apple, cut up, you know, cut the skin off, cut into yeah. quarters, decord, um, you know. Um, love that. Love that that is the best pickup line that you can there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> that I can give for you, even though I've never actually given that to anybody really besides my family. <laughs> you, but you got you got it ready to go. That's a that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and last question is: What is the most unconventional use of fruit in your opinion? 
fruit or well there's there's a um there's a leaf called the butterfly pea uh, which the thai community love to use as a dye and put into desserts and i think it's really cool um and i do sell it but it's like you can just bottle the blue the literally the butterfly pea up and use it as a little dripper now instead of actually using the leaf um and usually i don't say this because there's a flavor that usually the leaves in part which you want but i believe that with i've and i've tested the fresh versus the bottled and i can't taste the difference maybe somebody in thai could in in thailand could but i think uh some of the more traditional methods of using fruits and vegetables um aren't applicable to today but a lot of them you know still are like for instance you know a canned coconut milk versus one that's grated fresh there's a huge difference between one that's grated fresh versus one that's in the can but obviously not everybody's going to grate and milk and and squeeze out uh-huh. all the um the cream and oils out of a fresh coconut but i would say a butterfly pea yeah you know i i saw a video with you uh serving people uh jackfruit pulled pork sandwich uh-huh. Which yeah, uh, yeah. I I've never I've never tried it, but you got me interested. I I think someday I gotta find someone who makes it. Or uh, are there recipes online? I guess there's probably recipes online. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of recipes online, and you can actually use the canned jackfruit, green jackfruit, and it's really really simple. And my secret ingredient for you is to use liquid smoke because that way you don't have to smoke the meats and you don't have to smoke the jackfruit in this case. Yeah, and you can you can really appreciate what meat tastes like because jackfruit is such a vesicle, a neutral vesicle with almost very little flavor that you realize the barbecue sauce, the smokiness, the salt, the sugar, you can taste all those things, but you can't taste the savory meat. But the texture is almost the same because (laughs) jackfruit just has that meaty texture to it. So, um, yeah, you have to try I'll have to get you, give you a recipe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, send it over, send it over to me. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, well, thanks, Son, for playing along with us. And we like to end our interviews by asking our guests who their infatuation is. An infatuation is anyone in the Asian community that you admire. Could be living or deceased. It could be a stranger. Could be someone that you know. So, Tan Trung, who is your infatuation? You're going to have to give me like a minute to think about yeah, this stuff because I it. really okay. don't know. <laughs> we'll cut this sirens out. Who, wh- what other, who has other people? Oh, yeah. Okay, By the way, so... I, did, I did see that Lan said Jenny Dorsey and she is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, she picked Jenny Dorsey. So it could be an actress. We've had people pick Gemma Chan. A lot of people pick <laughs> Ali Wong. We've had, oh, yeah, yeah. we had several Ali Wongs actually. Um, who else? Henry Golding has been picked. We've had, um, you know, someone's grandma or someone's dad is yeah. a, is a common one. Well, I guess for 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 here in Australia, um, probably the, yeah, probably the only Asian I saw on TV when I was younger um, is a Vietnamese chef called Luke Nguyen, mm-hmm. and he's very popular in Vietnam. Um, but yeah, he had his own cooking show here in australia and he was really the only you know standalone host for a tv show that i could see when i was growing up um and uh yeah no you know you really you know that that's why representation matters because um you don't really you know when you're younger you really look up to you know people who look similar to yourselves and, and are doing interesting things and um yeah, I hope that one day people, you know, another fruiter younger than me might be like, oh, there's actually somebody representing the fruiters. And, um, there you go, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and actually yeah. giving thoughtful advice um, yeah, yeah. so that people can choose better fruit and veg. So, yeah, no, it would be Luke Nguyen. He would probably be my fa- infatuation because, um, oh, so. yeah, I didn't really see anybody else represent um, anybody that I looked like when I was younger. Perfect answer. No, love it. Well, today, Tan, you are our infatuation. We love hearing you. 
uh, talk about fruit. And honestly, I really could do this all night long, but yeah. <laughs> we don't want to put a three hour episode out there. But everyone out there, go follow, go follow Ton at, at Fruit Nerd and go find more of his stuff out there. And you got some stuff on tap, so uh, we'll, we'll be waiting for that. And uh, go ahead and shoot us any anything you want us to promote or anything in the future. We'll, we'll shout you out. Um, and you. hey, Sydney, thanks so much for coming on. I hope yeah. I can come on for another episode, maybe in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to give you another last tip, Sydney, and that's that's for your favorite fruit, which is the dragon fruit. Now, in order to find a good dragon fruit, the ears, which are the leaves, the green leaves that stick out of the dragon fruit, the further they are away from each other, the sweeter the fruit is. Ooh. Okay, I need to write these down. Yeah, Next no, time. we'll put it on the podcast. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> All right, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And everyone out there, you can write to us with your fruit tips or your favorite fruit at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us over at The Infatuation Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And we'll put all these details in our show notes. And yeah, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The best way for us to spread the word about this podcast is word of mouth. So if you know any fruit nerds out there, if you know any (laughs) veg or produce lovers out there, make sure you send them the link to this show. I think they'll learn something and they'll enjoy that. So so thanks so much for doing that. And I guess on behalf of Tan, Sydney, and myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Until we talk to you again, bye, everyone. Bye. Take care, guys. (laughs) 